Okay, so the last two weeks we've been talking about death, and um, if things go according to plan, this will be uh, the the final session um, this morning um, regarding death. We've looked at um, in the in the first part of this study, uh, particularly in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse twenty six, that death itself is an enemy. Um, and that ultimately we have hope that Christ will subdue this this final enemy, death, and um, we look forward to that in the resurrection. Um, we looked at Philippians chapter three verses uh, seven through fourteen. Uh, we've we spent last week looking at Acts chapter twenty uh, from verse twenty four on through the end, um, kind of looking a, along the way at at um, different ways um, that we can see how, for Paul, um, death kind of um, set a, like the reality of death um, helped to add focus and purpose and direction for him in his life. Um, we looked at, at the end of that, kind of um, in verses 37 and 38, that um, as the people close to him, um, realizing that what Paul has said about um, them never seeing him again, uh, that the natural um, and good—I want to—I want us to—I want us to get this—that um, though we have a hope that is uh, so over. Overwhelming in considering it that um, that though we might pass from this life, that we will see one another not in a lesser way, surely in the resurrection. That even though that is a reality that we all know uh, and hold to, that 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 it is a good reaction. It is not something that you ought to feel ashamed of. Um, when faced with death of someone that you love, that you react with tears. Okay, um, it does not um, it does not speak uh, to a lack of faith on your part. It does not speak to um, not holding to the promises on your part. But we see a pattern in Scripture again and again, um, and we'll we'll kind of look at that a little bit today. Um, but we see this pattern again and again in Scripture when where um, those who have gone on um, were clearly believers and still those who were left behind were left weeping, um, left in tears. So, so that is a right response for us. So mourning uh, those who have gone on um, is something to, that, that we ought to do and that we ought not to be um, ashamed of doing. But... We do that differently than the world. We do that differently than those who mourn without hope. And we'll, we'll see that kind of as we um, wrap things up today. So 2 Timothy <clears throat> chapter 4, uh, we're going to look at verse 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. What is he speaking to here? What is he talking about? 
He's talking about his life coming to an end, right? Now, what does he say about the life that he's lived? And I want us to consider this, like, um, ultimately as something that we ought to strive to be able to say about our lives um, when that day comes that, um, that ultimately uh, our lives have, have been poured out and um, our time of departure has come, right? So what does he say? Verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So a couple of things that I want us uh, to kind of look at here um, in consideration of this life. Um, how many of you at times have felt like your life has been a nonstop fight? Yeah? Yeah? How many of you at times have felt like moments in your life have been a fight? Right? Fights end. Fights end. Right? And he, here, here he, ha, he is speaking to this reality that um, when you think about this life, when you think about the struggles of this life, the trials of this life, one thing that death is sure to do is end them. Right? As hard as it might be for you in this moment, you can be sure that this moment will not last forever, nor will this life. You will pass from this life to the next. That ought to shape the way that we consider the trials that we are in now. They are temporary. They are passing. Right? You feel overwhelmed in this moment, but this moment will not last the test of time because this life will pass, right? So while you are in the fight, fight on, but the fight will end. I have finished the race, he says. So what else do we know about races? There may be very long ones exhausting ones but ultimately if your body does not break down before the finish line there is a finish line there is an end to the race so how many of you feel like this race is an exhausting one how many of you feel like your legs are going to give out at times do you think that when he's thinking about how he's Perceiving the life that he's lived, he's not putting forward analogies that are like, this was nothing, this was a breeze, this was easy, the whole thing, like, like I could do it again in, in a heartbeat, no struggle, right? No, when he's giving an analogy for the way that he lived his life, fighting, running. Yes, and then I mean, even like when we look at his when we look at his call when we look at his calling, like God's like I've got He's gonna suffer much for me, right? And it plays out. Yes, right. So, so here, so here we find these two analogies: one of a fight, one of a race. Both of these coming to an end, and then he says, "I have kept the faith." Does faith end? Uh, I think when we get to heaven, we won't 
so there will be a moment where your faith becomes sight right sight like today how who who amongst us believe in Christ yet you've never laid eyes on him you believe there's going to there's going to be a moment where your faith becomes you will lay eyes on the one whom you believe in today so are there times where your faith is weak are there times where you're like Lord I believe but help me in my unbelief yeah Yeah. We get distracted from the object of our faith. Yeah. We can or we just hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You grow weary. And you feel as though your faith may fail you at times. Here's a great reality. Is that there is a day coming for us where we will see the object of our faith. We will see the one in whom we believe. Death is that doorway into that reality. This, is, this shapes the way we think about death in a way. To where when, we th- when you step through from this life into the next, your fight will be finished. Your race will be completed and your faith will become sight in a moment. And I can't explain that difference to you. But we all know, intuitively, we know that to see Him would change everything. Right? So for now, you believe. You press on in the fight. You press on in the race, knowing that the race will be completed. The fight will end. And you will lay eyes on your Savior. Verse 8, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So, your fighting, your running, your believing is not in vain. It's not unseen. Though at times you may be the only one on this side who sees it. Right? But ultimately, you will be rewarded for the life that you've lived here. There is for you laid up a crown of righteousness which the Lord, that is Jesus, the righteous judge, will award to you on that day. Paul's looking forward to it here. Excuse me. He's looking forward to it here. And he's laying this out, no doubt, having lived a life that is just like far beyond the struggles that we tend to like become overwhelmed with on a, on a day-to-day basis here. And he's getting towards the finish of that race. And it's within sight 
for him. And he's looking forward to it, knowing that it was um, that he has lived that he has lived a life so that when that moment comes, um, not as though he's worked towards righteousness, but out of the righteousness that Christ has given him, he's lived a life well lived, right? And he's looking forward to that day. Okay. Yeah. Which begins yeah. the race. The yes. faith, keeping the faith was yes. the, is the is the running. It's just Yes. And he will keep you in that. So ultimately it is Christ who completes this work that he began in you. So when you feel weak, when you feel like your faith is growing thin, perhaps it's it its limits, know that, know that he is working these moments in you and that he will keep you. He's the one that called you. He's the one that enabled your faith to begin with. He will keep you to the end. Okay, so I want us to jump um, really quickly, we're going to look at three verses um, that kind of uh, show the um, the reality that when that when when we are the ones left behind here, right? Like we're at the funeral of one that we love. Um, that uh, an appropriate response to this is is mourning. We're going to look at this. Um, we kind of looked at it, but I want it. I want to jump and look at it one more time. In Acts chapter 20, um, Acts chapter 20, we're going to look at verses 37 and 38 here. So Paul's Paul's told them they here that they're not going to see him again on this side, right? Um, verse 37. There was much weeping on the part of all, right? That's all of the people that came there to see Paul, that's Paul himself, that's Luke here, like that's everyone um, here that's that's uh, present in this moment. There is much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. Okay, so um, just a reminder that... Um, he kind of led with, you're not going to see me again. But then he was like, there are going to be wolves that come in. And there are going to be those among you who tried to lead away disciples to themselves. So the only news that he, that, that he gave to them was not, hey guys, you're never going to see me again. Um, so there's a lot for them to technically be worried about. Or to weep over. Like you've got a bunch of guys here that they're all weeping. And he's like, from amongst you there will be those who are trying to make disciples for themselves. And what are they weeping over? <laughs> Could that be me? Could that be you? Like what's the, what's the thing that's tearing their heart? That there are going to be wolves that they're going to come in and have to fight back? What's the thing that's tearing their heart? That this one that they love, that they've labored with, they will not see on this side again. That's what they're weeping over. They're not weeping over the fact that they will have to fight against wolves and that they will have to guard against one another. 
right? That's not the thing top of mind for them. The thing top of mind is that one that they loved in this moment has told them they will never see him again on this side. And they all realize in this moment that it is their faith in the resurrection of Christ that is the only thing that will allow them to see one another again. Right? So they're weeping. That is a right response when faced with this type of experience. Let's go now to um, John chapter 11. Um, The verse in particular that we're going to look at here is 35, but we're going to start up in verse 28. Okay, so verse 28 of John chapter 11. When, when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she arose quickly and went to him. <clears throat> now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Uh, now when Mary came to where, uh, to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping <clears throat> and that the Jews who had come with her uh, also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now there there is... Uh, an approach to this text that would say that that perhaps the tears that we see Jesus crying um, here in a moment um, are related to their seeming lack of of unbelief, um, and I think that from the text you could potentially like land at that conclusion and and perhaps exclude other uh, realities here. Uh, but I also think that the text is. Um, well in line with the idea that Jesus saw uh, those mourning over death and Jesus himself in this moment is likewise mourning. Now, Jesus is also the one who will say, get up and you get up. Okay? Like Jesus knows what he's coming to do here and still in this moment he's weeping. So he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Verse 34, And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Verse 35, So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he have opened the eyes of the blind, or or, um, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Um, then we go down just a little bit more, and we'll, we'll kind of wrap this verse up here. Uh, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a, ca- a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone, Martha. The sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And what happens? Lazarus decides he's going to stay around in the grave for a little bit longer. (laughs) No, he gets up, he comes out, right? 
But we find here Jesus himself, who is about to perform a miracle, right? The guy's dead to the point that they're worried about the odor that will come out of the grave when they open this thing up. And still, Jesus, knowing that he's about to perform this miracle, is moved to tears. Um, it is a right response when faced with the reality of death to be moved to tears. Um, now, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. 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 He is, I mean, you, it kind of gives you a glimpse of what he was dealing with in the garden. Yes. That he's, he knows he's going to the grave. Yeah. And, no and it's a heavy weight, right? He knows that he's coming back, too. Like, he knows that when he dies on the cross, that that's not the end. He knows, right, that he's going to come back. And yet, still, the weight of this moment, like, death... Yeah. Yeah. That's what we. Yeah. That he does for us to humble himself, to make himself submissive to creation. Yeah. That's a part of the blood. Yeah. What is it that's. Not that he is completely limited in his omniscience, right? Yeah. What is it that he does? Yeah. What what you or I would do if we were faced in that same situation, our hearts would be moved. By the tears around us. And we too would be in tears because of this. You think of him going back all the way to the beginning. And the death. Yeah. I mean, death had ground. Yeah. started in the garden. Yeah. And he's, I, I kind of wonder if he goes all the way back to that. Because each time yeah. he encounters like the widow that had the son, the only son, die. He was moved yeah. Just the same as this one. He hates the separation. He hates the curse. Yeah. He hates the it, separation of it is truly an enemy. Like when he, like, it's an enemy. So, yeah. I hate the separation. Yeah. yeah. And he knows he's about to be separated from God because of our sin. Yeah. Like that's a huge thing. If you ever spend time with people that are dying, and we all have here in our church, and you saw that same grief in their heart. Yeah. And they would cry. But yeah, and I'm seeing it right now with my parents and my mom, my dad especially, about, you know, knowing the end is near. Yeah. And um, talking about that. Yeah. Know? And it, but there, the grief that's there, but yet the, the hope. Like there is such a marked. Oh, yeah. Difference. It's the same thing we see here. It's like Jesus yeah. wept, and then he, he said, I'm And he's like, rejoice. move it. Move the stone. Like, yeah. So I want us to go now to Acts. So this is the this is the third kind of example that we're going to look at, and then we'll kind of switch gears a little bit. Um, go with me to Acts chapter 8. We'll look at another case. Um, now, we're not going to go, go back... Um, all the way into the entire uh, encounter with Stephen. We're just going to kind of look at the results. So at this point, Stephen has been stoned. Um, this man 
who was respected by the church, who was clearly well-equipped and well-acquainted with the scriptures, um, preaches a sermon that um, is... uh, there, there's probably very, very few sermons um, that are uh, the length of which this this man clearly preached that you get this full account in the text here, and they uh, respond by taking his life. Right um, now, uh, we know that the account that's given here as that. Um, as this is coming upon him, like he doesn't want this to be at their, like this blood to be on their hands. He's seeing Christ in that moment. So, like, if there's ever a way to go, right? If there's ever a way to go, that's it, right? Jesus standing, welcoming you into heaven for your um, proclamation of the gospel and faithfulness to the end. Like, man, man. I honestly think a lot of the martyrs, there are probably times where God allows this type of entering in, right? Um, is that every time? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But there, there are clearly moments. Um, did he feel the rocks? His body did, because his body quit, right? He died. The rocks seemingly won. Um, but the one who was ravaging the church saw this. And who do you think told Luke about it? Definitely Paul. Do you think this had an impact on Paul? Right? Um yeah, he's he would like how else would you get the the account of it? Somebody must have been there because Stephen wasn't like, "Hey guys, they stoned me, you know, um, and I'm dead now." Um, and this is the sermon that I preached up to it, you know. I love his subtle context clues. Yes. Like with the, and there was a young man who held his coat. Yes. Yes. And that's, that seems very much the way that I would imagine a person that we see the character of Paul after conversion. That's very much the way that I would see him as Luke's like, I'm writing this story down, Paul. And he's like, man, um, you know, like, keep it, keep it, you know, keep it simple. Keep it simple. Put the truth down. Keep it simple. Like this is impactful enough that it takes up several several passages in the book of Acts. So it was a significant moment, right? And what do we find happening? Stephen entering into glory, but those who knew Stephen. Devout men, verse 2, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. They wept. Their hearts were broken at the loss. These were devout men. These were men well grounded in the truth of a resurrected Savior and a hope for all that follow Him for that same resurrection. Yet, when a brother is lost, when a brother is martyred, what do they do? Their hearts are broken over it. So when we 
face death, we ought not think that we need to be um, overly stoic because of our faith in the resurrection um, when it would appear by all accounts that when believers in the early church, when Jesus himself um, is in that time and space where death has occurred, that weeping and lamentation is um, an appropriate response there. Now, the other side of this, and we're going we're gonna to move through this uh, rather rather quickly. Second Corinthians, go with me now to Second Corinthians, um, chapter five. Now, we're going to look at uh, verse eight here. Um, so uh, it is a right response for us when faced with death, uh, even though that we know the hope that we have that we weep in that moment, right? Like that is not a sinful response um, on our part um, there. It, it is not a lack of faith on our part there when we weep and mourn over those that we love having passed from this life to the next. Um, yet we hold a particular truth that shapes the way that we mourn for those that we have lost. Um, verse 8, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. What is the perspective of the believer that what occurs at the moment of death? You are with God. It is better, we're going to see, it is better... To pass for for us for us and that's a weird way of saying it but scripture says it that we're here to labor and the better thing is to be with Christ while we're here then ought we not be laboring right so we're of good courage because we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord Right? Knowing that ultimately he's going to resurrect for us uh, new bodies. Right, But when we pass from this life, we are not on pause for some, you know, we are with Christ in his presence until he takes us back with him to the resurrection. Right? So we should be of good courage knowing that when we pass from this life to the next, that um, though we may weep for the loss of that individual in our lives in, these mo in the moments that proceed for us, that ultimately we know that believer is with Christ. Right? Uh, let's go now to um, Philippians. We're going to look at Philippians um, chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses uh, 21 through 23. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? To live is Christ and to die is gain. Yet Paul, in Acts chapter 20, 
when they're considering the fact that they won't see one another again on this side, weeps. He still knows the truth that to die is gain. This is not something that he's not aware of in that moment where, he, where he's weeping for not getting to see his friends again on this side, right? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. So if it's better to be with Christ, why doesn't he take us at the moment of conversion? Because he has a purpose for you. That purpose is fighting and running races, right? If you're going to finish the fight, finish the race, after you're converted, right? He has a race set out for you. The things that you come in contact with, that you fight with, whether it be against like whether it be spiritual warfare or whether it be this internal spiritual battle that you might face yourself with sin, like these fighting, these this struggling is for a purpose. It's not purposeless. So while you're here, are you about that work? Right? Do you, do you consider that as a believer? Do you consider that God has you here for fruitful labor? You are here not just to sit around and be seen, but to be busy laboring for Christ. That is all of us. All of us. If you are a believer, this is including you. You are here not just to take up space, but to work for the kingdom of God. And then he says here, the latter part of verse 22, Yet yeah, which shall I choose, I cannot tell. So he knows it's better to be gone. But he knows that he is here for a specific purpose. That God has chosen him to live the days that he will live because God's plan includes those moments. So he knows that it's, that it's gain when he dies. He knows it's better to be apart from the body because being apart from the body means he's in the presence of God. Yet he knows that God's wisdom has him here for a time, ultimately for the plan of God being worked out through him, through you, through me, right? Verse 23. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to part, is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. We're going to go ahead and go a little bit further. Uh, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. There is there is some hubris here in Paul's approach to the days of his life. Right? What Paul is saying here is that you need me. You need me. Right? That's what he's saying here. It's necessary for your account that I don't go now to be with the Lord. Here's, here's something that we ought to consider. Okay? You need me. I need you. Right? This is a reality of the church. We need one another. 
You are here in this life because of that. Because for you, it would be better to be with Christ. But I need you, so you got to stick around a little bit. I see this in right? Dad's, um, journey right now, and he still wants to be needed. Yeah. And there, and can't yeah. Stop running the race. Yeah. And and they are here. They are here for you, for others around you, right? Up to the, you're no longer needed when he takes you, right? His work for you here, the race that you're running here, the fights that you're fighting here, you're done when you close your eyes for the last time, right? That's when you're done. Whether you're old and you think your memory's gone and, and the world around you would say, like, you're of no use to the rest of every, everybody else. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not the way that God works, right? You, you may be the one being shaped in that moment, right? In the way that you care for the one that you love as they finish the race, as you help them across the finish line. That's for you. They're here out of your necessity. You need them for that sanctifying work within you. It's it's not useless. They're not useless. They're not. Um, We we ought to have that perspective. Um, So for him to remain in the flesh is more necessary on their account Um, convinced of this, verse 25, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Yeah. 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 It's a communal thing. Yeah. For the world to see. Yeah. And within a community. Yeah. He's kept the faith. Yeah. Dustin was saying something yesterday that I was talking to him about. He said, if we could only set up our children to run the race and be successful. Yeah. And like those, if you, that rung out, like, just, not just kids, but your children in the faith, that those who come in and walk behind us would walk with a path yeah. Of, of obstruction. Um, if we could have that mindset, we can go lay our head down. Yeah. And fall asleep in peace, knowing that we've been poured out right. Yeah. Right? That's what we ought to strive for. Yep. Knowing our days are short, knowing that there is a final moment for each and every one of us, we press forward. Yes. We press forward. There will be someone that we will encourage or pray for to the day we draw our last breath, as long as our mind is. Oh yeah. So I want us to wrap up, and we'll we will be complete with this, um, with First Thessalonians, First Thessalon, First Thessalonians chapter four, and I'm going to read from verse thirteen. So First Thessalonians chapter four, verse thirteen. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That's those who are dead. Um, 
that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So ultimately, our faith shapes the way that we mourn. We do not mourn for those that we've lost in the faith as those who have passed hopelessly from this world. It shapes the way that we consider it. Will we cry on that day when our loved ones pass? You can bet. I'm, I'm, I'm the, probably the quickest to tears in these things. But you can be sure that there is not one tear that drips from my eye that I am not certain that Christ sees and that will not be completely flipped upside down on the day that he returns. Whether he returns while we're still here or whether we're amongst those that he brings with them. Right? Yeah. Yeah. They're not unseen. Yeah. I mean, he cares. Yeah. 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 So, um, we'll close with that. Um, I want us to um, close in prayer and then I'll, I'll try to keep it short because we only have t- like two minutes until we have to be um, in, in the sanctuary. <laughs>